0: To psalm 119. Uh, we have been uh, studying the psalm together over the last several months. Uh, the psalm is an acrostic. Uh, each of the 22 eight-verse sections uh, begin with a different letter of the Hebrew alphabet. We come today to the next to last section of this psalm, uh, verses 161 through 168. Psalm 119. Uh, beginning at Psalm 160, or excuse me, at Psalm or Psalm 119, beginning at verse 161. Uh, let's now hear uh, God's word. Uh, princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. Seven times a day, I praise you for your righteous rules. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies, for all my ways are before you. This ends this reading in God's word. Let's look once again to the Lord in prayer. O gracious God and King, uh, we, like the psalmist, Lord, love your law. We thank you for all of your precepts and all of your testimonies. And we desire, O oh God, that our soul would keep them. And so, O oh God, bless, that, or, uh, bless us tonight that we would not be mere hearers of the word, but doers as well. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Uh, amen. Uh, the 19th century uh, British evangelical Anglican pastor, J.C. Ryle, wrote a chapter in his book, Practical Religion. And it was a chapter in which he wanted to plead, quote, plead the cause of zeal in religion. Uh, Ryle noted how, in his context, 19th century Britain, zeal was something often misunderstood and maligned. It was not a good thing to be a zealot. But I want to say that it is also something misunderstood and maligned in our day. Also, Uh, if somebody says that you are a religious fanatic or you are a religious nutcase, That is not a compliment. They don't intend it in that way. And yet, the Bible commends to us zeal. Uh, Titus 2 and verse 14 says uh, these words. Uh, Excuse me here. Titus 2 and verse 14 says... Uh, that the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Or Revelation 3 and verse 19. There, to the church in Laodicea, the Lord Jesus writes, Be zealous and repent. Even one of Christ's disciples was named Simon the Zealot. And so the Bible commends zeal. If we were to put it in modern parlance, when it comes to being a Christian, go big or go home. Well, what is zeal? Well, zeal, Ryle goes on to say, is to be a person devoted to one thing. J.C. Ryle puts it this way, quote, that the, the zealous Christian only sees one thing. He cares for one thing. He lives for one thing. He is swallowed up in one thing, and that one thing is to please God. He burns for one thing, and that one thing is to please God and to advance God's glory. Well, in this section of Psalm 119 that we are looking at today, the psalmist here is a zealous Christian. Uh, In these verses, there is nothing half-hearted or bland or ordinary. There's no mere formalism. Uh, The psalmist isn't merely going through the motions. Rather, the psalmist is in earnest in these verses. Notice the kind of extreme language that is used here. My heart stands in awe of your words. I rejoice like one who finds great spoil. I hate and abhor falsehood. Seven times a day I praise you. Great peace have those who love your uh, law. I love your commandments, verse 167, exceedingly. Here are the words of a zealous Christian. And so, like J.C. Ryle of old, today I want to commend zeal in religion to you. The zeal of a psalmist should be our zeal as well. And we need to ask ourselves, do I have a thoroughgoing, zealous Christian faith? Am I not half-hearted, not merely formalistic, not merely going through the motions but rather a zealous Christian. And the psalmist here gives us some of the marks of what that kind of zeal looks like. In fact, I want to look at seven of those marks today. Uh, It's really one in each verse, and then the last two verses are kind of combined together into one. So seven different marks of the zealous Christian. Uh, I've summarized each of them in a single word. We're going to look at awe, joy, hatred, praise, peace, hope, and love. Awe, joy, hatred, praise, peace, hope, and love. Well, the first mark of the zealous Christian is that mark of awe. And we find that in uh, verse 161. We see there that my heart stands in awe of your words. He is in awe. That is, he reveres, he honors, he is amazed by the words of the living God. He counts the scriptures to be no ordinary book. Do you know how countercultural that is in our day, huh? Uh, The book, the the Bible in our day is, at best, merely a book to be read and considered. At worst, it's a book that is to be hated and maligned, Uh, right? A person might say, well, you can have your beliefs in scripture and I have my own that I get from other sources, Or people say the Bible is the source of all kind of evil. It's the source of intolerance and bigotry and hatred in the day in which uh, we live. The Bible is to be avoided. Uh, And so the Bible uh, is, I mean, it was just recently, I think, that somebody quoted the Bible on the streets in Britain, and he was accused of hate speech for doing it. The Bible is often mocked. It is ridiculed. It's morality is considered old fashioned. Uh, to believe in the Bible is to be plant yourself in a, in a different century. Uh, people don't want anything to do with you if you say that the Bible, that you take the Bible uh, seriously. I mean, if you were just to get into a conversation with somebody else that's not a Christian, you say, The Bible is my book. I want to live by what it says. They'll look at you like you're from a different planet. But yet The psalmist says, for the Christian, not only do we accept the Bible, but for us it is the book of all books. We stand in awe at the words of God. And it is having this kind of awe, or we might even say godly fear, of both God and his word that then supplants all other fears in our lives. Did you notice the context in which he places us in? In Psalm 161, he says, princes persecute me without cause. Do you get what that word is saying? David here, whether he's referring to to Saul's persecution of him or there's some other incident that's in mind here, he's saying here that the civil authority... Uh, that those who have been appointed by God to protect the innocent and to avenge the oppressed, to reward good and to restrain evil, this civil authority is actually assailing the innocent one. Friends, whenever that happens, it's a frightening situation indeed. What higher recourse is there than uh, the civil government? In other words, uh, if the police and the judges are corrupt, where else are you to go? And that's what David's facing here. And, friends, it's faced by Christians uh, th- throughout the world uh, uh, today. How many uh, there are in the world today who are cast into prison on trumped up charges? Or the police are turning their eyes when they are murdered. Or they have no recourse when they lose their jobs unjustly. And friends, that is a very scary situation. What David here is describing is something that is uh, scary indeed. Princes are persecuting me without cause. But what that fear has actually been supplanted or set aside by a greater and higher fear or awe in his heart. That is, his heart stands in awe of his words. What is he really scared of? Not what princes might do to him, but he's scared of sinning against Almighty God. He loves the word of God. He places his hope in the word of God. And so it must be for you and for me. If we were to have our fears cast out, let us supplant those fears with the fear of God. And of his word. Let's have a godly reverence. It marked the lives of Old Testament saints like Joseph and Moses and Josiah and Nehemiah and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Each of them were those who feared the Lord, and it should mark every child of God as well. Fear God, ye saints, and then you will have nothing less to fear. Make you his duty, your delight. He'll make your wants his care. So let us be those who stand in awe of his word. Young people, do you stand in awe at the word of God? It's a book better than any other book. Do you want to know it? Do you want to live by it? Because here we have a word from heaven. It is the word of the living God himself to us. Let us pay heed to his word. So awe ought to mark the zealous Christian. The second thing which should mark the zealous Christian is joy. Joy. We find this in verse 162. I rejoice at your word. And I think it's interesting that both awe and joy are placed right next to each other. On the one hand, he says, my heart stands in awe of your words. And then he goes on to say, I rejoice at your word. Those two things aren't Uh, uh, in contrast to one another, but rather it's the one who takes the word of God seriously, who is truly able to delight in it, right? I mean, if you don't think that this book is actually the word of God itself, what joy is there here for you? But It's only when you believe that this is a heaven-sent book. A word of the living God about your salvation that you can then read its pages and read of the love of Jesus for your soul and of the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart and of the presence of God in our lives and of His happy providence and all the rest. And friends, our hearts, when we take that seriously, then explode with joy that to have God's book is to have a treasure that is greater than any other. Here is to have true uh, spoil. Now in comparing God's word to the one who finds great spoil, I think it tells us a couple things about the word of God. First of all, it tells us that having such joy in God's word comes sometimes after great conflict. If you get spoil in a war, what happens? You fought a war and you receive spoil. And so it is for the Christian. Often we are involved in great conflict. Uh, We are called to believe God's word through times of trouble and tribulation to defend it against mockers and attackers. But friends, it says even when we do this, we will find that the God's word contains far more joy than any sacrifice we have ever had to make. But not only does such joy come after great conflict, but such joy also is exceedingly great. He says, we rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. I mean, children, think of it. If you were to walk out of here and to turn the corner somewhere and to find a briefcase full of money, I mean, dollar bills. First of all, you might get a little scared. What's this doing here? You know, and maybe you'd turn it in and try to find who's the owner of this. That's good. But pretend there's no owner to be found. You suddenly came across a treasure. Friends, to have the Bible is to have a treasure that is far greater than any money or any wealth that this world can afford. It's better than all the gold and silver coins that you could put together, better than any figure that you could put in your bank account, any amount of stock that you could own, any possessions that could be yours. To have the scriptures, God's word is the greatest treasure of them all. And to be a zealous Christian is to come to actually believe that. To say, I'd rather have, in the words of the hymn, Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather belong to him. I would rather have his book, because in this I find eternal life. Is that the attitude of your soul? Do you find the greatest joy in the pages of Holy Scripture? To be a zealous Christian is to have this kind of joy. Awe. Joy, thirdly, hatred. And You want to see, say to be a zealous Christian is to have hatred? Should the Christian ever hate? Well, the answer is yes. The Christian should hate those things which God hates. And what does God hate? Well, above all else, God hates sin. He hates sin. And so that's why the psalmist says in, Psalm, in verse 163, I hate and abhor falsehood, but I love your law. What strong expression this is. It's not only that he restrains himself from falsehood, or he tries to put aside falsehood, or he tries to ignore falsehood, but rather there's a positive Hatred and abhorrence of falsehood. Because falsehood is contrary to what the scriptures teach. Now, what is meant here by falsehood? Well, on the one hand, uh, it refers to false doctrine. False doctrine should abhor us. Uh, think of Paul's attitude in Galatians 1 9. Uh, do you remember he uh, addresses those Galatian Christians, unlike many of his letters where he begins with the kind of a rosy uh, greeting, uh, rather there in Galatians 1 and verse 6, he says to them, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. What are they doing? Well, he says you are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Verse 9, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Do you think you want to say to Paul, tell us how you really feel about this? Paul hated false doctrine. Why was that? Well, was it because he was narrow, bigoted? Did he have an intolerant? Spirit and the way that tolerance spoken of in our age, dear friends, Paul hated falsehood because he loved the truth of God. And any other doctrine other than the truth of God were lies. They were lies. And so he revolted at it. Again, that's so contrary to the spirit of our age that says, well. You have your beliefs, other people have their beliefs. Let's just be tolerant and accepting of all. Can't we just all learn from each other? Friends, yeah, we can learn from each other in some ways. But friends, when it comes to what the truth of God is, God has spoken clearly in his word. And do not ever compromise any of the doctrines of his word because they aren't yours to begin with. They're his. It's his truth. And we ought to be those who hate everything which does not accord with the truth of God. Do you know the Protestant Reformation would never had happened had the reformers not detested all doctrine that ran contrary to God's word. They would have never given their lives if they had not essentially said with David, I hate and abhor all falsehood. And that's what made them zealous in the cause of the gospel. Might it be so in our day that we would have... uh, One time it was said that J. Gresham Machen, the great Presbyterian theologian, was was like Bunyan's Mr. Valiant for Truth. Well, friends, we need some valiant for truth people in the age and the society in which we live. Let's love God's truth. But not only should we hate false doctrine... We should also hate lying of every form. When he says, I hate and abhor falsehood, here he's speaking of lying in every form. And friends, we need to think of this. We ought not to excuse little white lies or little exaggerations or a little bit of deceit. But rather, the Christian should be the one who always tells the truth. Proverbs 6 Verses 16 through 19 uh, remind us of sins which the Lord especially hates. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. What are those? Haughty eyes, secondly, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, and then this one again, a false witness who breathes out lies and one who sows discord among brothers. In that list of those things which the Lord especially hates, a lying tongue and a false witness who breathes out lies find their place among that list. Are you one who hates and abhors falsehood? So the zealous Christian is to be marked by awe, by joy, by hatred. Now, fourthly, the zealous Christian is to be marked by praise. Verse 164, seven times a day, I praise you for your righteous rules. That is, the reading of scripture leads him frequently to praise the God of scripture. Uh, now, there have been some who have taken this, uh, this word seven times, uh, literally, even some of the pattern of monks in some monasteries, It would have seven uh, times per day designated uh, for worship, and that would not be a bad practice to designate seven times per day. But I don't think the primary purpose here is to set a rule that exactly seven times a day you should have set times of worship and prayer. Rather, I think what this psalm is saying here, it's enjoining this, that brothers and sisters, you and I should praise God frequently, a lot, a lot. We ought to respond in praise to God. That the zealous Christian should be quick to praise God. Not just every week. And not just every day. But many times every day. We ought to respond to God's blessings with praise. In fact, it ought to be our goal to keep pace with our praise with God's blessings. In other words if you think of it in accounting terms, don't let the account of God's blessings get too long uh, before we respond to them in praise back to him. Let's try to keep pace with the many ways that God has blessed us. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. One of the marks of An ever-increasing Christian maturity is that we are so, so, so quick to say praise God. That as we go through our day, we want to make known his praise. That we're found, when we're in private alone at times, humming hymns of praise to God. That as we go through our day, we're driving our car, we want to utter things for which we are praising him. That when we meet with other people, we are quick to tell of God's extraordinary blessings, primarily through the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to be those who delight to come to the house of God and worship God because we want to make known uh, his praise. Oh, friends, let's be those who are quick to praise uh, God. And when we do that, it strengthens our faith as well. It was John Bunyan who said that when I believe and sing... My doubting ceases. And I think it's so true. that it is often by believing and singing in praise to God that we find our own strength, our own faith strengthened, and we give praise to the one to whom it is due. Are you one who delights to praise God for His righteous rules? So we need to be exuberant in our praise. We're zealous. Okay, In our awe, in our joy, in our hatred, in our praise. Number five, in our peace. Peace. This is not so much something we do, but something we receive. We find this in verse 165. He says there, Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Great peace, not merely a a portion of peace, a measure of peace, but rather great peace, true peace, belongs to those who love your law. Now, surprisingly, this is the only place in this particular psalm where this word shalom or peace is used. But it is used here. And it says that for those who love God's law, we have great peace. Now, why is that? What's the connection between the law of God and the peace that we experience? You know, at first we might think, well, the law of God doesn't bring peace into our lives because the law of God shows me how far short I fall from the glory of God, right? The law shows me my sin. When I read the law, I see that I'm a sinner, How does that bring any peace to me at all? Well, what the law should do is to drive you to the one who has fulfilled that law, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we read God's righteous standard in holy scripture, and we love his law, it immediately leads us to see that law as it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And when we set our eyes upon Christ, we see one who fulfilled the law, not in part, but in whole And because he fulfilled that law in its whole, because he offered to God a perfect obedience, that when we are found in Jesus Christ, his obedience is ours. It's imputed to us. And we are then made whole in the Lord Jesus. And so in Christ, we see the law fulfilled. And if I am in Christ, I am accounted righteous in him. He is mine. But then what does God and his mercy and grace do? That when we embrace and believe Jesus Christ, the law keeper, he then puts his Holy Spirit into our lives. And when he gives us his Holy Spirit, he makes us to delight in his commandments, not out of a slavish fear or a way of earning our uh, salvation with God, but he gives us a delight in his law so that we might be led in the way of his commandments and know a greater conformity to our Savior And we might be led in the way of blessedness as well. So friends, when you see in your own heart a love for God's law, a love that doesn't lead to a perfect obedience, a love that does involve stumbling along the way, but nonetheless a real love, oh God, that you would lead me according to your law, it is evidence that the Holy Spirit is in your heart and that you belong to Jesus Christ. And there is no safer place to be in the world than to be with the Lord Jesus, united to him on that path which leads to heaven. So do you see, it's great peace indeed that comes to those who love the law of God. Great peace, not because of my own law keeping, but because in Christ the law has been fulfilled and his spirit is the one who is guiding me in the way that I should go. So, friends, if you are on that path of obedience, on that path of looking to the Lord as your Savior and as your King, then you are in the safest place in the world. There's no storm that ultimately can touch you or can push you aside. No matter, though the devil is going to tempt you, And though the world is going to mock you, and though you are going to face temptations from without and from within, friends, there is a peace that runs deeper than all of that because I belong to Jesus Christ. I am on the path that is leading into heaven. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing ultimately can make them stumble. What a word that is for the zealous Christian. It is when we have, by God's grace, a kind of zeal for God and for his commandments, when we have that kind of assurance in our own hearts that we belong to him, that we experience that peace that passes all understanding, that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, that we know that deep, that perfect peace comes to those who know the living God. So it is to have great peace. Number six, the zealous Christian is marked sixly by hope. See this in verse 166. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. Here again is a kind of gospel word. He says that the That the zealous Christian is one who hopes, and hopes in what? Hopes in God's salvation. Well, what is hope? A hope is a sure expectation of what we are going to receive. Hope is built on the promises of God. That is why hope and faith are, are really kind of two sides of the same coin. It's by faith that we apprehend the promises of God. We believe them to be true, and it's by ho- and it's in hope that we set our expectation upon uh, 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 expectation for the future upon those uh, those promises. So here he's painting the picture of one who has faith in the Lord, who's resting upon the promises, who's hoping in the salvation of God. We find hope. Not in our own ability, or our own depth of repentance, or our own resolve, or our own sincerity, or our own giftedness. We don't find hope because we are good, or we are able, or we have the ability in ourselves, but rather the Christian finds all of their hope in God and in God alone. There's a kind of blessed assurance that comes from casting ourselves entirely upon the Lord. His hope is not in himself, himself, but in the Lord's salvation. And it is only when he hopes in God's salvation like this, that he then is able to do God's commandments. So friends, again, we do God's commandments, not as a kind of covenant of works to earn our salvation, Christ has done it all. He has saved us. But rather, we obey his commandments in response to God's grace, thankful for the salvation that he has provided. I hope for your salvation, O Lord, and I do your commandments. And that gives us great joy, again, in the doing of God's commandments. Because we do them energized by faith enabled by the Holy Spirit, guided by the word of God. We do them in view of a certain future glory. You see, it's not a kind of slavish obedience. It's trying to make our own way, hoping that God is going to be satisfied enough with us. But it is the response, the joyful response to his grace. And so the Christian, the zealous Christian, is one who is filled daily with hope and faith in the God of his salvation. Well, the last of these six, we've seen awe and joy. Uh, We've considered uh, hatred and praise and peace and hope. Well, the seventh mark of the zealous Christian is the mark of love. We find this in verses 167 and 168. My soul keeps your testimonies. I Love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and testimonies, for all my ways are before you. This Christian is zealous for the word of God, zealous about God's testimonies, that is his truth, zealous about his precepts, that is his command. Why is he zealous about these things? He's zealous about them because his soul loves them. Because it is the word of God. These three remain. Faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us. And you and I need to be those who love the Lord. Why should we keep the doctrines of God's word? Why should we seek to obey his commandments? Not ultimately because of what they will do for me. Or because of some advantage I will obtain by them. But why should you do them? Because you love the giver of those commandments. Your soul loves the Lord. And that, friends, is the chief mark of the zealous Christian, is it not? That we are those who, above all, love the Lord our God because we love him, we love every word that comes from his mouth. And can I simply ask you today, are you one who truly loves the Lord? Are you a zealous Christian? So can I call each one of you today, maybe for some of you, you as you hear these things and you examine yourself and you realize that for you, religion has been but a game. It's been a kind of formalism, a kind of rituals and rules. You're motivated by something else other than God. Can I call upon you today to come in faith? To the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there's so much something so much better that awaits. Religion isn't meant simply to be a kind of game that you play, a kind of maze that you make your way through, hoping to to, to satisfy enough other people or to satisfy yourself. Dear friends, there's something wonderful and marvelous in this description that we're given in this psalm, something soul lifting to true zeal in religion. Can I commend to you zeal in religion today? How do I do it? Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look to him in faith. Cast yourself upon him. Might this be true of you? But for those of you today who, where you can say, by God's grace, I believe that I'm a true Christian. And though I don't see these things in in the full flower that I hope to see them, and I I see them in the bud, can I encourage you, Make it the desire of your heart, oh, that I would be not a half-hearted but a zealous Christian. Lord, might these things be characteristics of my life as well. Might the Lord help us to show this kind of zeal. Let's pray together. Lord, our God in heaven, we do pray that, that this image of the zealous Christian that we find in this psalm would be true in our lives also. Lord, we pray that we would be marked by awe and by joy, by hatred and by praise. We pray that we experience great peace, that we would be those who hope in your salvation and who love your commandments because we love you. Lord, our God, if any here do not know you by faith, are strangers to your grace. We pray that even today, that you would convict them and make them to cry out with all their hearts. Lord, it is this kind, this kind of religion that I desire. Oh Lord, stir in my own heart, humble me. Make me to confess my sins. Leave me broken before you. And Lord, by your spirit, create this kind of zealous spirit within me. Oh, God, would you do this, we pray, in the lives of some, even here today. Above all, Lord, make us all to be zealous in your service until that day when, as we saw this morning, you shall call us into glory and we shall see you face to face. Lord, we pray all these things now in Jesus' name. Uh, Amen. We're going to sing uh, together the hymn 654, 654.